talking about chicken a la king. Mango and garbanzo tabbouleh. Potatoes and vegetables with roasted garlic and basil. Zucchini ziti. Granola fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. My guest today, very exciting, Adam Roberts, one of the first food bloggers ever. Uh, I met him over a decade ago when we were young, fresh-faced writers writing in a coffee shop in downtown New York. Shout out to Joe. Uh, (laughs) He went on to become quite the podcaster and cookbook author penning the books The Amateur Gourmet and Secrets of the Best Chefs. His new book is co-written with Broadway star Gideon Glick and is called Give My Swiss Chards to Broadway. Best title of a cookbook ever. Uh, Uh, Adam Roberts, welcome to the pod. Well, thanks, Dan. It's so nice to finally be on. I mean, I've been looking at so many refrigerators on your feed. I'm like, when is my refrigerator going to get its moment in the sun? So I'm very excited. It is getting its moment and it is quite a fridge. Uh, you guys can see, let's get right to the fridge. You can see Adam's fridge uh, on my Instagram at Stand Up Dan. Here we go. I am, you know, I'm not surprised about this fridge. Uh, this is a fridge of someone who cooks a lot, someone who knows how to cook. It's not heavily organized. It's a little bit of controlled chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, uh, let's get into the top row here. Um, oh my got, god! I don't know. We're gonna go this deep. I, I would have oh. cleaned it up a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. We want it <laughs> in its natural, natural habitat. Um, first of all, you have a uh, yellow Brita filter. <laughs> yeah, the yellow color. I'm not sure if I agree with. Was this like an? Uh, was it on sale? And um, it was half price. No, it was intentional. I like the yellow. You know, yellow is a warm color. It, it kind of gives you a warm feeling. It's like the sun. It's like springtime. I mean, I guess it depends on how you associate the color yellow. For me, it's a very desirable color. You know, it's something you want on your water filter. Okay. Um, fine. Fine. You sold me a, a little bit. Okay. Um, and then there's, is this rosé over here? That's an open bottle of rosé that my partner, Craig, put back in without, I just noticed this last night, he didn't cork it. So it was just like sitting in the fridge with no cork, which I guess is oh really God. bad. Is That's bad, right? Yeah, it's very bad. I think it's... Uh, I think it's time for a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm actually really, it's funny because I, like I, people, some people that I know like are like, oh, you have such a sophisticated palate because you cook all the time. And that's, it's actually the, quite the opposite. Like I drank that wine last night actually, and I, I didn't notice anything. So I have yeah. no idea what happened to it. Um, okay. So you're an alcoholic as well. Which is <laughs> nice. uh, no, yes. you have a bunch of, of, uh, of wines oh, yeah. in the fridge, which is cool. I'm all about that. What are these guys? We had just gotten wines from Helen's at John and Vinny's, the, mm. you know, Helen's wine shop. And those are actually, you know, what's interesting is I think behind those is something that I made, which was called Vin de Orange, which was um, rosé and vodka infused with like all the citrus in the winter. You kind of let it ferment uh, over like a course of like six months um, and then you strain it. Uh, wow. And so that's in there. But that... Um, one of those bottles, I think, is like a Sauvignon Blanc, and one of them is uh, Gruner Vetliner. I love it. Um, and then, uh, what's this in the corner? Is this a gochujang or some yes. sort of? A, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, and that's. And I googled it to try to find out which was the most highly recommended, and that was the one. I don't remember the brand name though. Um, but I love it. It's so good. And actually, I just went to this restaurant in Boston called Pammy's, 
where they put that in a bolognese. And I've been really meaning to try that because it was delicious. Wow. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, gochujang is like a Korean fermented hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, is there, is there miso in it? I don't even know. I have no idea. I have no idea what's in it, but it's so like funky and spicy and it has like a deep, dark flavor to it. Yeah, I love it. Um, I feel like there's got to be some sort of anchovy action going on in there, too. Yeah, um, probably. Uh, okay, on our second row, this looks like a little bit of a farmer's market haul. Your, uh-huh. your greens. Uh-huh. I know you're, you're, you're nuts about the farmer's market. You're, you're, I, I, I wish I could be as... I feel like I've let convenience get in the way. The pandemic has made me become like such an Instacarter. And right. I haven't really gone back. Well, you know, it's funny because like I'm not like a diehard, you must go to the farmer's market person. I do think there are certain things that you can get at the farmer's market that are better than what you'll get in your grocery store. And then there are certain things that I actually think are better in the grocery store. For example, right there, the thing that you thought was from the farmer's market is celery from Gelson's, which ah. is great celery. It's some of the best <laughs> celery in LA. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I go to the farmer's market, I mostly go for uh, like fruit certain kinds of fruits that they have like like right now peaches pears nectarines plums um not pears why did i say pears no peaches plums nectarines uh and then tomatoes right now i mean gelson's has okay tomatoes but the farmer's market has incredible tomatoes right now yeah. so that's what i go there for yeah um i am a huge fan i actually did just go to the farmer's market last week i like the farmer's market the thing i hate about farmer's markets though is like the pushiness you walk through and they're like mm-hmm. hey Come here, buy some soap. I'm like, I don't want your soap. Let me oh, just yeah. walk in peace. <laughs> and you would hate this because you're a comedian, but there's this guy who is kind of an asshole. Like he's kind of like a jerk, but he, he's, he has the best stand and he like kind of thinks he's hilarious, but like makes these really off color, terrible jokes that you kind of have to wince through in order to buy his produce. <laughs> and it's, um, it's worth it. But you know, it's always like, oh, here we go. What's he going to say? Oh my God. That's, hel- that's such a, that's such a, funny take on like the soup nazi it's like yeah (laughs) it feels like a like a seinfeld episode i mean he's not a bad person he's just like he's just kind of has this obnoxious he does this like jimmy cagney voice he's like ah what do you got here see yeah (laughs) oh my god i love this (laughs) yeah anyway so that's that's oh because farmer's market pushy yeah people are pushy there especially as it gets later i try to go right when it opens yeah i like the idea of having to put up with some awfulness just to to be at the best stand ever yeah <laughs> it's like I mean, the thing about my farmer's market is people know which stand this is like it's like the one with the line it's the only one that has a big line i feel oh bad now i feel like they're gonna find out that i said this so i'd take I love it back it. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a member of the proud boys but he has the best <laughs> arugula ever <laughs> it's very possible i wouldn't put it past him yeah <laughs> um and then in your crispers do you have what i like to call dexter crispers which is like because it looks like the show dexter where everything's wrapped in plastic before they murder um <laughs> before he murders his victims uh-huh. um, a, a lot of plastic wrapped stuff in here um, yeah I, don't even, I can't even i have no idea why take me through it what do we got um that is a bag of fresno chilies that i did buy at the farmer's market that i did go on to pickle which if you've never done it sounds very fancy and intimidating but you literally just slice up a bunch of chilies put them in a jar and like pour vinegar on it and put it in your fridge. And then you have these like pickle. I mean, I, I did a little more, like I boiled the vinegar with sugar and salt and put some spices in it, but you don't have to do that. And it's incredible, like on scrambled eggs and a sandwich and pasta, great thing to have. So those are uh, Fresno chilies. Next to that, 
you might recognize from your Passover plate is a big giant piece of horseradish wow. uh, on the, all the way on the left. And okay. that I bought because I made Nancy Silverton's atomic horseradish dip, which is an incredible recipe. If you ever have friends over and you want something to dip potato chips in, uh, she recommends a specific brand of horseradish that in addition to the fresh that's in the drawer, you'll see in my uh, side door of the refrigerator up on the right, uh, which is called atomic horseradish. And if you just mix this atomic horseradish with um, sour cream and add some fresh horseradish, it's like the best potato chip dip you'll ever have. Wow. That sounds fun. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, And then I don't recognize, I think there's a bag of polenta at the bottom and like a bowl full of grated Parmesan cheese. Mm. Um, And then you have in the door, you have uh, a wonderful liquor drawer on the bottom or... Mm -hmm. You've got your, well, next to a big tub of mayo, it looks like. <laughs> and we love to drink our, our uh, liquor with mayo. It goes really well together. It seems like you have a lot of like martini Negroni mixes and also champagne. And yeah, that's Lille. a bottle of champagne that um, my partner was given as a gift, like for wrapping on a movie or something. And it's like a really nice bottle. That's one of those things where it's so nice a bottle. We just have never opened it because we like can't justify it. And it's just going to sit there forever. Yeah, I made fun of Katrina Bowden for this because she she's an actor. She was in 30 Rock mm-hmm. and um, she in her fridge, she had like this box of like Dom Perignon. And I'm like, what is that? She's like, yeah, we got that at the Emmys for 30 Rock. And I was like, you literally just put that there so that anytime someone opens your fridge they have to <laughs> ask you what that is. You're like, oh, uh, it's from the when I was at the Emmys. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's like a trophy on, like, on the shelf, except it's in your refrigerator. <laughs> right, exactly. Um and then uh, on your second drawer here, you've got all, all the condiments, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, standard condiments. Anything, anything out of the ordinary here that I can't? Uh... Um, my friend Ben Mims, who's a food writer, made me this jam that's all the way on the right. And I forget what kind of, it's like a berry I've never heard of, like a Mayberry or some Mayberry. No, Mayberry is a place on a TV show. Uh, right. <laughs> like some kind of uh, jam, but it's delicious. So that's really good. There's ketchup, there's uh, sun-dried tomatoes, which I know are not very trendy, but I like them. Um, I, I, you know, I think the sun-dried tomatoes, it's due to have a moment. I feel like it almost started to have its moment and then mm-hmm. it, it kind of went back into the shadows. But in the 80s and 90s, it was enormous. Oh, yeah. People went nuts. And then what I read about it was that basically they just couldn't keep up with the demand. So they just started using the shittiest tomatoes. And it just like they jumped the shark. But like now you can get really good sun-dried tomatoes and it's such a wonderful thing, but it has such a stigma associated. Oh, yeah. I think that's so funny. For some reason, I think of sun-dried tomatoes and Phil Collins as the same. Yeah, like they're both like associated (laughs) with the 80s. People are very snobby about them. Like people get very upset if you're like, oh, I'm listening to Phil Collins, like Phil Collins, you and it's like, you know, if you're like, I'm putting sun-dried tomatoes in my pasta, like, what is this, the 80s? It's like, Bill Collins wrote some good songs and sun-dried tomatoes have a place in pasta and salad. So oh. I think they deserve some uh, acclaim in the 2022s. Yes, I agree. I am totally hashtag team sun-dried tomato. Maybe they need to rebrand it, call it like a, I don't know. Um, um, yeah, like hot re- sun tomato or something. Yeah, hot sun tomato. Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't think of a good one right now, but, um, it needs something. It's funny. I was like, there's so many things that I use that need a rebrand. Like I like skinny margaritas. Mm. I was talking about this on my episode that I 
that we recorded earlier, earlier today. I think most margaritas have gotten way too sweet, so I order a skinny margarita. But I feel like I'm some like 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 I just left CrossFit and now I'm having my <laughs> margarita and I'm careful. You know, it's like it's not that. I just don't like them to be sweet. So what, um, do, what do they leave out when it's skinny? They leave out the, the Cointreau or the like triple sack? I think they just they they just chill out on the amount of simple syrup. Is there there's there is simple syrup in a margarita or no? Maybe. I I thought it was um lime juice, tequila, Cointreau. Um actually I'm, I'm you're gonna get like thousands of letters about this. I but know. Maybe there is agave or something. I have yes, no idea. I think they started putting agave. That's the thing. I don't think margaritas were that sweet. I think in yeah. America we made them sweet. And Got now it. you have to order the diet one to get the regular one. I just think of Bethany Frankel for some reason, because she's that was her, her whole business, right? With skinny girl margaritas. Yeah. Yeah. But she that's made, different. Billions of dollars. Yeah. But you're not <laughs> asking for the But when you order a skinny margarita, you're not asking for the Bethany Frankel margarita. You're just asking no. for. OK, got it. But do you and think the, that sometimes they think that that's what you want? Well, the funny thing is, I will never say that. I'll be like, yeah, can I? I really don't want my margarita to be very sweet. And uh, they'll be like, oh, you want it skinny? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I want it skinny. Fine. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're entitled to whatever margarita you want. Thank um, you, Adam. I just made um, watermelon margaritas for the first time, which was really fun. You just blend Oh, yeah. Watermelon. I think I saw that on your yeah. Instagram. How did you do that? Well, it's so easy. You, the hardest part was buying a watermelon, which funny enough, I've never actually <laughs> bought a whole watermelon. I've only bought like pre-cut watermelon or had it at like someone else's house. So right. I bought like a 17 pound watermelon to make margaritas for four people, which oh my is God. not necessary that you don't do that. Uh, but but you got it at the, you got it at the farmer's market. No, There's a guy there. No, he I, tells racist jokes, <laughs> but he's got the best. <laughs> I did not get that one at the farmer's market, but um, maybe I should have. Uh, but the, I cut it into chunks. And the cool thing is you freeze the margarita, the watermelon chunks. So mm -hmm. instead of ice, you're putting in frozen watermelon. Which oh, that's just makes fun. It, more flavorful. So you just put the watermelon in a blender. You add lime juice, a little agave, or for you, no agave. Yeah. And then you add um, tequila and blend it to taste. And it's delicious. Um, have you ever done that thing? I think I've seen it on TikTok or whatever, where they take a watermelon, scoop a hole out, and then just like put in a bottle of vodka and just like let it seep in. It, uh, this always looks intriguing to me. I've never seen it. But I do remember at my grandfather's funeral, my grandmother's friend carved a, like Noah's Ark out of a watermelon and put a cantaloupe inside of it for the shiva. That is a flex, man. That is a <laughs> shiva flex. Yeah, right he did like he did like watermelon art. He was like a Jewish guy in Delray Beach, Florida. And like his thing was like he would cut a watermelon in half and then like sculpt the inside so that it looked like a boat or it looked like something and then he made like a fruit salad and put it inside of it <laughs> oh my god was so something to like aspire to in your 70s and 80s and 90s was it a fun thing or was it like a, oh come on man this is a shiva and you're making it about your watermelon art <laughs> just no, cut I, up the watermelon yeah. man <laughs> it was nice it was very nice it was like a good distraction i mean I don't, that's the fact that i still remember this from like 20 years ago says something about the quality of his watermelon work yeah that's nice <laughs> um, okay, and then your top drawer over here, you've got the uh, Lux Luxardo. Do I do I pronounce yep. that right? The cherries. Uh, uh -huh. The cherries. Um, and then you've got a lot of butter. Yeah. You got the Kerrygold. You got the uh, Horizon. Horizon. Uh -huh. And then you got this little reject butter. That's oh wow! You have a good eye. I didn't even notice just, that. It's like two two. It's like a like a a tiny. It looks like a 
I don't know, like a, a two pats, three pats of butter mm-hmm. still in the packaging outside of the little butter area, <laughs> just hanging out by itself. Yeah, Lonely. I think I, I cut that off because I only needed like six tablespoons of butter for a recipe. So when that happens, I normally store that with the rest of the butter, but that did fall out. And what I most likely will do with that is like use it to make scrambled eggs. Let me ask you this. Is it as someone who knows how to cook, mm-hmm. but also um, is very much into, you know, cookbook or right as a cookbook author? I, I don't know. I have this like love hate relationship with recipes, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, I feel like the trap can be that you become so dependent on the numbers and the minutia that it kind of makes you lose your senses, right? When it comes to cooking. Yeah. Um, so for someone like yourself, who can probably cook with his senses by this point, I imagine. Um, yeah. How do you do you feel like there's a responsibility as a cookbook author to to address that of like, hey, we don't want you to like also just use your instincts a little bit. It's so funny because I just started taking piano lessons and it doesn't sound connected, but I, I think it is connected in the sense that like I'm learning how to read music. I've, I've always played by ear so I can play the piano, but I don't know how to read music. And so my piano teacher, uh, I played a piece for him last week and he's like, it's good. Like you got all the notes, right. You got all the rhythm, right. He's like, but you need to make do the Adam version of it. And I was Mm. like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, you need to like put yourself into it. And like, to me, it's exactly the same thing with cooking. It's like, you can follow the directions. I mean, the worst cooks I know, and I know a few of them, um, (laughs) do follow cookbooks to the letter and you know they're a bad cook when like if it's not very good they'll blame the recipe because oh, almost yeah. almost always you can fix something if it's not if you make a soup and it's bland add salt add spices add, i mean if you know how to cook you can like improve on something so yeah um so i think it's just about confidence and and also i think to be a good cook and to go off recipe you have to love food and you have to love to eat i also think the worst cooks i know are the people who are the most tortured about food and who don't get a lot of pleasure from it. Right. So it's, so it's sort of like they just want to follow the instructions so they can like serve something to people as opposed to standing in the kitchen and like basking over their sauce and like slowly lifting it to their mouth and like, hmm, this tastes yeah. like grandma's sauce, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so tell me why I need to get a cookbook that is uh, co-written by a Broadway star. Tell me how this happens. Tell me... <laughs> It seems so random when I saw that it was going down. And I was so happy you reached out to me. I was like, I need to ask him about this. Well, um, I have two passions in life. One is cooking. The other is Broadway musicals. Yes, I'm gay. Yes, I'm Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's funny because Broadway musicals and food are like, oh, not food, but Broadway musicals are one area of the Venn diagram between being Jewish and being gay where they're like clearly crossover because yes. my, my family is obsessed with Broadway and musicals. And then the gay community that I joined later in life is also most of the people I'm friends with are obsessed. So anyway, um, I follow Gideon Glick because he was in Spring Awakening on Broadway, which I loved. He was on just recently into Kill a Mockingbird, which he got nominated for a Tony, the one with Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did a tweet like right when the pandemic started, he just made a joke about Bernadette Pizza. He's like, should I do a children's book called like Bernadette Pizza? Like, you know, sort of a pun on Bernadette Peters. And I, and I think I replied, yeah, sure, you should. And we were friends a little bit. And so he sent me a message. He's like, how do I do that? And I was like, well, you'd have to write a proposal. You'd have to do it. And then we just started talking. And I was like, I'm not sure you can extend this Bernadette Peters joke very far. <laughs> I think it's not, doesn't sound like a full book. I like, guess maybe if you wanted to do a musical theater recipe book, you could do like puns on Broadway shows. 
And then we just spent a month just like for fun, just like texting back and forth. And so we did like the sound of Moussaka, uh, Sunday in the Pork with George, Little Chop of Horrors. It's just like bad puns on Broadway shows. Oh my God, I love it. And then at some point we had like 50 or 60. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm going to pitch this to my literary agent because she, even though she mostly does cookbooks and works with serious cookbook authors, I know that she loves musicals. And I did not think she was going to think that she could sell this, but almost instantaneously, she was like, I love this. Yes, like write this. So then we um, just started writing the proposal and we got this amazing illustrator named Justin Squiggs Robertson, who does illustrations for like Broadway.com and does like real professional Broadway illustrations. And we sold yeah, the book. With a name like that, you're an <laughs> illustrator. <laughs> yeah, Squiggs. Uh, and so, yeah, we sold it to Countryman Books, which is a division of Norton. And wow. then... Then, I, then it became really fun for me creatively because I really had to integrate the musicals into the recipes. So I didn't want to just like throw up a recipe and be like, okay, here's like, Sunday, you know, the sound of moussaka. Here's a moussaka. I wanted to like have elements of the musical and the recipe. So the Sunday in the Pork with George, it was like, okay, this is a musical about pointillism and the painter George Seurat. So I'm going to try to get like little flecks of color in, the, in these like pork meatballs. So I put like... How- Fun. Like orange and red and green peppers in the blender. And then like I stirred that in with the meat. And like it's like when the meatballs came out, they had like little bits of color in them. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like I can do this for every musical. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. I love that. I had no idea that that was the concept of the book. That is mm-hmm. so charming and creative. Oh, thank you. Um, so what <laughs> I'm curious about the sound of Musaka. How did you get a little of sound of music into the Musaka? Great question. Um, Musaka. So, you know, the Sound of Music takes place in Austria, as you may know. And um, so where I kind of wanted to bring the, and and moussaka is a Greek dish. So it's like, what's the, how do I merge these two worlds? And the answer to me was pastry, like Austrian pastries, like Vienna, Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, there's cinnamon and moussaka in the lamb meat. So I kind of built on that. And then I I think I added dried currants to it um Fun. don't quote me on that i should probably have the book next to me but you know little <laughs> little elements like that and sometimes it worked really well like um sweeney todd we did like weenie todd so it's like pigs in a blanket uh-huh. but i made them i made it like sausage um sausage rolls so sort of like british uh you know so there's like ground up sausage which is like a part of sweeney todd is that they grind up humans and put them in yes and then i made like the devil's ketchup so i made this like homemade ketchup with all these like spices and heat in it so it was sort of like the devil made it from Sweeney Todd. So, you know, just like fun, creative ways to bring the musicals into the food. That is that is so fun. It's it's almost like you took like a Top Chef quick fire challenge and just <laughs> turned it into a book. <laughs> yeah, a Top Chef quick fire challenge for like four people who are really into musicals. <laughs> but, but, but they they exist. They exist. I feel like we have like a niche audience that will find this book and love it. Yeah, that is so much fun. I'm into it. Um, All right. Are you a I musical guy? Do you like I'm, musicals? I'm, I mean... Do I like musicals? It's a good question. I don't know how to answer this because I always think that I don't like the idea of musicals where I'm like, they're just talking. Why are they singing now? Mm-hmm. But then I also, you know, I've been known to have very fun evenings at Marie's Crisis and like ah. uh, just listening yes. to, to wonderful uh, show tunes being belted out. So I don't know that I'm uh, I, I don't know that I call myself like a, a, a fan or anything, but I, I'm not not a fan. Does it's so funny because I, I mean, I Marie's Crisis is, is like a litmus test for people because I've brought people there when I lived in New York. But for those who don't know, Marie's Crisis is a show tune bar in New York, which is like yeah. down a flight of stairs. 
it's a piano and a room packed with people all belting show tunes. Yeah. And I've, I've brought people like when I first went there, it was like a freezing cold winter's night. I walked down those stairs and I truly felt like I was walking through the gates of heaven. I was like, how is this place real? Like, how, yes. how are there people singing show tunes on, in this like warm, cheerful bar with like Christmas lights strung everywhere? I mean, it was just like magical. And then I would bring like a friend there. They're like, this is the worst place I've ever been. Please <laughs> get me out of here. So it's like very clearly like you either love it or you hate it. You know, I used to love it. And I used to go, I mean, what, probably 15 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun. But then I did slowly see it turn into like, oh, this is turning into like a bridge and tunnel, like attraction. It's like yeah. a zoo for like, it's like straight people come to look at the gay people in their element. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think look at them happened. doing what they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think celebrities started going there, unfortunately. And then like page six would write about it or whatever. It's like right, Jill right, and right. Hall would go there. And so it's, I'm sure they're all looking for a celebrity, which ruins the whole thing. Right. Um, this book seems to be a perfect project for you because uh, this is always my favorite fact about you. But like the thing that kind of gave you your big break was kind of was was a kind of playful, not pun, but like taking a pop culture event and turning it into a recipe. Uh, tell tell the listeners about this because this story is so fucking good. And I think uh, I knew you before this. I think I, or I, it must've been, it might've been right after this happened. That, wait, what are you, wait, which one are you? Cause I've had that happen a couple of times. So I'm curious which one you're talking about. I'm talking about the Super Bowl. Oh God. Well, I kind of disavow this. I've deleted this post off my blog. Actually, oh really? <laughs> because I think it's offensive now and I, I regret doing it. But at the time it was when Janet Jackson showed her breast at the Super Bowl or Justin Timberlake revealed her breast at the Super Bowl as we later right. learned. Um, but at the time, it was like so scandalous and crazy. And this was 2004 when I started my food blog and I had like four readers. Nobody knew who I was. And I made a Janet Jackson breast cupcake. And it was yes. just a cupcake that looked like her breast. And I put the nipple shield on it with icing that she had. And I put it on my blog and, um, and I went to sleep and I got up the next morning and it was viral. Like it truly was one of the, like those moments where it's like, oh my God, like a million people have visited this since like I put this on here and it was on collegehumor.com and all these huge websites and CNN came over and did, and they were doing a story about the, like the Janet Jackson breast, like boom, like all these t-shirts and things that were being made. And so they came over and like videotaped me, like making the cupcake. And so it is true. Pop culture is, was what launched me. Although I do think it's problematic now and I don't stand (laughs) by the Janet Jackson breast cupcake. (laughs) We appreciate the disclaimer. Um, (laughs) Wait, what is another one that, that, uh, that you've done? Oh my God. I mean, well, recently I, I went viral on TikTok because I did um, Stanley Tucci's uh, zucchini pasta. And this was my first viral TikTok because I've been very much avoiding TikTok because I'm like too old for it and I don't get it. And I find it like really like unnerving to go on there and just like be yeah. overstimulated. However, Agreed. I was like, well, I'm going to have a cookbook coming out. So I should like get a foot in the door. And I was making videos on there and nobody, you know, like eight people were watching them. But um, I was watching that Stanley Tucci show where he goes to Italy and yeah. he ate this pasta with zucchini in it. And he said, this was the single best thing he ever ate in his entire life. And so was I, it a Nerano? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to recreate this. So I, um, did it. And then, you know, I had zucchini in my fridge. And so I just like sliced the zucchini and I fry it up. And so it's like really crispy and dark Brown. And then you make a sauce with butter and the zucchini and lots of Parmesan. And I put that onto TikTok and I think it was because I included the clip of Stanley Tucci saying this is the best thing I've ever had in my life and then showed you how to make it. But it has like 1.7 million views. 
Wow. And, and like, and however long I've been doing this, it's like probably the most successful thing I've ever done. And it was just like a throwaway. Like I just kind of put it up there. I was like, nobody's going to look at this. And then that went viral. Wow. So you never, yeah. you never know. Yeah. Um, TikTok virility is something that I don't really get, but um, I think. Bizarre. I think I need to, I think I need to start it. But whenever I'm, whenever I'm on TikTok for a little bit, I do feel like my, my brain just got like thrown into a frying pan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, yeah. I think that, I think I've been like accepting that my brain is going to be fried now for the rest of my life because it's required to be on social media to just like do all this stuff. So it's like, I guess I just have to keep my brain sizzling. Yeah. Keep have it a sizzling. Keep yeah. it sizzling, baby. Were you one of the millions of people who started making bread a couple of years ago? It was so much fun, right? It was great. You'd sit at home, have nothing else to do, and you'd be a full-time boulanger. Well, guess what? Now we got to get back to work. We got to leave the house. And we're realizing, oh, maybe I can't be a baker at the same time. That's how I feel. Well, thank God, Wild Grain has been able to fill the gaps. Wild Grain is the first bake from frozen box for artisanal bread. Plus, they have amazing rolls, pastries, even handmade pastas. It's amazing. It comes frozen. And right away, you throw it in the oven and boom, in 20 minutes. First of all, it smells amazing in your house. Like fresh baked bread every day and you don't have to like have a sourdough starter and start from scratch you just start from the freezer wild grain uses only clean ingredients such as unbleached non-gmo flour and they use slow sourdough fermentation that is healthier for you and tastes better than anything you can find in the grocery store they send me this box guys and i was so skeptical you know me i'm a purist i'm telling you i don't buy bread anymore i don't even go to the bakery for croissants anymore because they're croissants are 10 out of 10, baby. Are you hungry already? For a limited time, you can get $30 off your first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash green eggs to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash green eggs. Okay, I'm going to start asking you the questions that I ask uh, at the, in the middle of my episode. Uh, okay. I ask all of my guests. Um, starting with, what is your earliest food memory? My earliest food memory is my, I had this like little plastic yellow table that was on a gray carpet in front of a gigantic television in my parents' living room. And before my parents went out to dinner, like they would heat something up for me and like put it on a plate. And I would sit there like watching TV and eating it. And then there was this one time where they gave me like leftover steak that was all cut up and dry and leathery and gross. And I thought it was disgusting. And my mom was like, you have to eat it, eat it. That's your dinner. And so when, when they left, I took the steak and I smushed it under the carpet. Like I just like shoved all of it oh under the God. carpet. And then I like I stomped on it and flattened it and like so that there would be like no bulges. And then it went like a week went by and then it just started to stink in the living room. Oh my room. God. And then my parents found it and I got in a lot of trouble. You know, it's funny. This is a, a standard thing on the podcast. All the Jews have their, their earliest food memory is like usually a traumatizing one. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. For the uh, Gentiles, yeah. it's always like, I remember having these biscuits and they were great. For Jews, it's like, my mother caught me <laughs> throwing out her shitty food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like, you know, it was just one of those things where. My, my parents, like, they love food, but it was, they don't cook. My, my, mom, my mom never cooked. My dad never cooked. So this is like, just eat this. And I was like, no. Right, right, right. I got um, my revenge. Okay. okay, got it, got it. 
what is your death row meal? Let's think of a reason that you're on death row. Mm. Uh, let's say you're making a, you're, you're recipe testing your Sweeney Todd recipe. You took a little too literal. You uh-huh. actually beheaded someone for a mm. bechamel or, you know, for the, for the bolognese, for the, uh, you know, instead of the tomato, you wanted to use, you, know, you went, you went too far. You yeah. went too far. Just like the Janet Jackson. It's like Janet Jackson all over <laughs> right. again. You're, you're That's why I'm on choices. death row for Janet Jackson. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. And now you're on death row. What is your death row meal? Well, it's very sweet, but like there are certain things that I make for my husband at home that are very like, makes me feel very like cozy and like, you know, domestic. And it's very simple. It's like a Caesar salad with like lots of anchovies and garlic, mm. um, a roast chicken with like lots of root vegetables. And then, or pasta, like maybe I have this pasta I make all the time, which is have a toppy with sun-dried tomatoes, back to sun-dried tomatoes. Hell yeah. And, and cannellini beans with Parmesan. And mm. then I think for dessert, there's just this almond cake that I love to make from Amanda Hesser's cookbook. Uh, that's just sour cream, almond paste, lots of egg yolks. Um, and it's like this rich, decadent almond cake. So I think I would cook my own death row meal and it'd be all those things. Wow, I love I think you're the first person to want to cook his own death row meal. Yeah, because those are like the most comforting things to me. It's like I don't need like Grant Ackett's to like bring like a like a balloon filled with like foie gras to my death row and pop it <laughs> right. in front of me. It's like, no, thank you. I love it. They'll be like, what do you want? You'll be like, I got this, guys. Just give me a yeah. give me a look cruzette. <laughs> that sounds like a good this sounds like a good cooking show. It's like death row uh final meal. It's like chefs on death row get to cook their own final meals. And if the best one gets exonerated not bad yes yeah and someone does go. get it's a snuff show someone does get executed <laughs> at the end yeah it's very dark but i could see yeah. it on like hbo max or um, maybe right. showtime right peacock. It feels like peacock it does feel like a like a maybe a discovery plus they're taking chances yeah, they are um, what is the best high-end meal you've ever had that's an easy question um because in 2006 i won the lottery so to speak and i got into El Bui, Bui, however you say it. In oh, wow. Spain. Um, this was right before Ferran Adria closed it and it ended. But at the time, it was like, you know, it was the hot restaurant of the world. And every year, like when I, when I first read about it, you know, I was in my 20s and it was like the late 90s. And I would always submit to get a reservation. I never got one. And mm. in 2006, I, um, I had just started dating Craig, my partner. And, um, and I got, it's not like they say like, okay, you're in, like, here's some prospective dates. It was like, you're in, you have a table for two on July 24th at 8 PM. Like, that's it. Like you have no choices. Yeah. Get your and ass so, to coastal Spain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I said to Craig, I was like, we're going to Spain and we're going to go eat at like the best restaurant in the world. And it was just so much fun. I mean, you know, the meal was fantastic, but even just the journey there, like we went to Barcelona, yeah. we rented a car, Craig didn't know how to drive stick but we had to drive a stick like up into like the Costa Brava. Uh, we stayed at this like weird tourist hotel. And then finally we like rented, a, you know, we drove up to the restaurant, which was on the cliffs, like overlooking the water. And it was just like being in somebody's house, like an amazing artist's house. And you like walked in and you shook Ferran Audrey's hand in the kitchen. Like you walked through and saw him. And How then we special. sat, and then we sat down at the table and it was one of those things where like, you know, we, I think we've all had bad molecular gastronomy food. Mm had restaurants now like deconstructed and or like super chemical filled but what was really cool about this meal was like it felt very for lack of a better word authentic or yeah. it felt like organic to like the place and to the spirit of what he was doing like you know the first course was like a piece of sugar cane which is like a natural ingredient 
Mm. You bit you bit into it and it shot out a cocktail. I think it was a Kuiper. How do you say Kuiperinha? Kuiperinha. Kuiperinha. So it was like you bit into the sugar cane and like the cocktail was inside of it. Like how fun. Cool things like that. So it was amazing. And I'll never forget it. You know, I think the first it's funny. You just that story made me think of the first time I had um, like molecular gastronomy. (laughs) And I'm curious what you think about this, because you and I were you and I were in New York at the same time, same place. And I think we were in New York at a very interesting time. It was like, there was like chefdom brewing everywhere or like Mm -hmm. casual fine dining was becoming a thing. And I think that my first molecular meal was at Wiley Dufresne's first restaurant, which was 71 Clinton Fresh Foods, I believe. Oh, wow. I never went there. I went to WD-50. Oh, okay. So I feel like at Clinton, I never went to WD-50, but it seemed like at Clinton, he was just like using little subtle things here and there. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a heavy hand with the molecular. And I thought it was so like, I've never, I'd never had anything like it before. He had like, I still remember he had some sort of peanut butter lava cake that was just like, wow. I never had anything like it. It was so exciting. Um, but yeah, there's something, there's something really exciting about molecular. And then there's also like something like the, like bad molecular gastronomy is so fucking annoying. Like if you go to like a hotel somewhere and you just want to have dinner and they're like, here's a cube of beef, you know, bouillon. on It's like, give me a break. Just give me like a steak and right, peppercorn right. sauce, you know. But like if you go somewhere where they really are artists, like and they really know what they're doing and they can really do something great with it. Sure. I'm fully on board. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, what is the best low end meal that you've ever had? This could be a street taco, street hot dog. Now, when I got sent these questions, I got I don't mean to pull back the curtain on your show. Please. But it did the question did say your best or worst lower. Do you meal? have a worst? Because a lot of people don't have a worst that they prepare. Please, if you have one, I, I prefer the worst. I lived in um this is so gross, but I lived in Park Slope for a while. And there was a sushi spot on Fifth Avenue. I don't know what what the name of it is. Um and I used to go there for lunch and it was fine. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a well known sushi spot or anything. It was just like a little sushi spot. And I always got like the sushi sampler for lunch for like twelve dollars. Okay. And one day they brought it out, and um, it had you know that like little grassy thing that divides the plate. Yeah. So I was eating the sushi, and the little behind, green picket fence, the picket, yeah, the picket fence. Yeah. And from behind the picket fence came a roach. Huh. Like, like kind of crawled out onto the sushi, and it was truly like a stomach churning moment of like, <laughs> like. I've never <laughs> been more grossed out in my entire life. And it was so horrible uh, that I, it took me a long time to eat sushi after that or roaches. Oh my for God. That yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That sounds pretty disgusting. And, but it wasn't like a, it, it, was it a famous uh, place or no? No, no, no. It was just casual. Yeah. I mean, I guess this doesn't really answer your question, but that, that's what came to mind immediately. No, that's pretty awful. Okay. Um, yeah. It was awful. For sure. Thank you. Uh, is that going in as your worst high end or your worst low end? Oh, worst low end. Oh, do you do both? I mean, you could do either or. No, no. I wanted to do best high end, worst and low worst end. Worst low end. Okay, that's yeah. a good one. Um, what is your favorite drunk food when you're drunk? What do you like to, uh, to imbibe in? Pizza. Pizza. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we were just in Provincetown and um, they have this great ritual there where, you, you know, after you go out at night, there's all these bars and shows and drag shows and stuff. But there's this place there called Spiritus Pizza, and it's famous. It's open to like 2 a.m. And everybody converges on it after drinking a lot. And it's just something about pizza, whether it's like hot or cold. Like if I have cold pizza in my fridge when I get home and I'm drunk, I'll just like shovel it into my face just because I don't want to go to bed drunk. And I feel like it it soaks up a lot of that. 
Yeah. I don't know if that's true, the whole soak up thing, but I like to believe it. I think it's, it's true. I think yeah. if you eat a bunch of carbs or something after you drank a lot, I, th- I, I feel a little more sober afterwards. I, I need a Mythbusters on that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should email them. <laughs> do they still do that? I don't even know if that's still a show. No, they don't. They don't. I used to um, love that show, though. Um, right. What is your favorite uh, hangover cure? Well, it's in the same world as pizza, like like an In-N-Out burger with fries, like a smashed yeah. burger. Uh, I, basically, if it's an emoji, I want to eat it when I'm drunk <laughs> or, or hungover. Uh, but like pizza emoji and then burger emoji, fries That's emoji. That's a very good rule. The, the emoji. Because <laughs> then the other thing you have is like spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Or a taco. Or a taco. Yeah. Uh, who is your favorite celebrity food personality? As a celebrity food personality, who would you oh, please. look at? Uh, mine is easily Ina Garten. And it's so sad because I never got to meet her. And then I went to... She's to, not dead, Adam. She's not dead. No, I know. I know. But <laughs> I, uh, we, we cashed in all our miles and we flew first class back from Paris uh, like a couple years ago around New Year's. And I got food poisoning the night before. Um, and so I was like green in the face. I could, you know, it was just like sitting there. And all of a sudden, I heard this like very nasal voice, like, excuse me, coming through. And I recognized it instantly as Jeffrey, Ina's husband. <laughs> and I looked up and it was Jeffrey and Ina who were in Paris at the same time, walking down the aisle uh, to their seats. And it was like the worst possible moment for me to encounter Ina Garten because I just felt like total shit. And then at some point through like the, the like red eye flight or it was just like overnight, she went on a walk down the aisle just like stretch her legs and it would have been the perfect opportunity to like reach out and be like Ina I'm a fan and I think she knew she saw this like salivating like gay (laughs) guy staring at her so she knew but I didn't say anything (laughs) she's like "Uh, this gay guy is about to throw up at the sight of me I know I I mean I actually kind of have learned over the years not to meet your heroes it's just like it's actually probably better than I didn't meet her I I can I can keep fantasizing about what that would be yeah that's true um Okay, so now your desert island food. You're trapped on a desert island. One food for the rest of your life you will never tire of. Pasta. It's so, it's so like clear to me. Because like, I could take dried pasta, boil it, yeah. and mix it with crabs that I kill. I could mix yeah. it with like coconuts from the tree. I mean, I've never had coconut and pasta, but I feel like you can turn pasta into a lot of things. You can get your protein elsewhere. You can get your vegetation elsewhere. Right. But pasta will be a great source of everything else. Take me through this go-to pasta that you have. This is from Lydia Bastianich. And this is probably the dish that I've made the most in my entire life. And in fact, I just made it four days ago. And I just, in the picture of my fridge, I think that was leftover pasta, this pasta in my fridge, um, in the bowl that was in that picture. Uh, you basically take a can of sun-dried tomatoes packed in oil. You unscrew the top. You pour some of the oil into a skillet. And you also add olive oil to that skillet, like a good layer. Ooh. Fun. Then you slice like eight cloves of garlic or six cloves of garlic thinly, add them to the skillet. You take those sun-dried tomatoes, slice those, add those to the skillet. And then you take a pinch of red chili flakes and then you toast everything. Uh, and when the, meanwhile, you drop your cavatappi into salted water. And what is cavatappi? It's corkscrew. Okay, got it. And then you, as soon as the garlic is golden and the um, sun-dried tomatoes have toasted a bit, I actually don't add the chili flakes till that's already happened because you don't want those to burn. Um, you add a ladle full of the pasta water, which mm-hmm. immediately emulsifies. And then you get a can of cannellini beans 
you rinse that off, you add that to the pan, another ladle full of pasta water. And it kind of makes this sauce that's like rich with like the umami from the sun-dried tomatoes and the, all the garlic. And then the beans kind of give it richness. And then you kind of lift up the um, cavatappi into the pan with it, a little another ladle full of pasta water, stir, cook it through till it's all absorbed. And then you add a ton of Parmesan cheese mm. and a ton of chopped parsley. And it is truly like, it's, it's, it's so good because it's very surprising. It's not like anything you've ever had before. It's interesting because I feel like I make pasta in that way a lot, but I'll use tomato paste instead of the mm. sun-dried tomatoes. I can yeah. see the sun-dried tomatoes being a nice little uh, kicking it up a notch, as Emerald would say. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard, delightful. heard his name in a while. Yeah. I, know, I don't know. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's also maybe like nostalgic just because I made, started making that like 15 years ago and, and my partner's always asking for it. So it's like, it's just in our lives. It's, it's yeah. like... It's like when somebody's like, come over, my, my mom makes the best lasagna and you have it and you're like, this is just okay. But it's like, it, you can't tell sometimes like what's an emotional thing versus like an actually, you know, objective good dish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there a food that you can't stand eating? Beef jerky. Really? I've, I, I mean, nothing about it appeals to me and I haven't had it since I was like 14, but I remember hating it when I did have it. So I, maybe I should try it again. But I, the idea of like very chewy, leathery pieces of beef just sounds horrible to me. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Not that I'm a huge beef jerky fan, but I. OK, here's what I want you to do. Have you ever yes. had biltong? No. OK, biltong is South African beef jerky, and it is made in a different way from like American beef. Jer- American beef jerky has more of the leather. It tastes like like leather, yes. which, again, I can get down with. I'm into it. But biltong is like, I think they smoke it first and then it's, uh, it's like dry cured. I'm sorry, it's wet cured in a way. I don't know what they do differently, but it is, it is so delicious. And it's like a mix of when you order it, you can get soft or you can get like medium or like hard. And the you soft sure this stuff, is beef jerky we're talking about? Yes, it is. <laughs> and it's so, there's a, place in, and there's a place in Beverly Hills called like the German butcher shop or something. I'll find out the name and, and give it to you. But they are like people from South Africa come all over, from all over the country will go to this place to get their biltong because it's the best in the country. Really? And in fact, every time you go, there's a South African there and they'll say, it's even better than what we had in Johannesburg. It's so <laughs> That's good. Thank you. That, <laughs> it's so, so good. Um, I would like for you to try that and then, and then get back to me because that, that jerky is so insane. Biltong is nuts. I'm sure it's good. I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's so ingrained in me that I don't like beef jerky that I forget why I don't like beef jerky. So I'm sure I can open up my mind to it. And if if you say it's good, I believe you. I promise you. I promise. Um, And finally, my last question, my favorite question. What uh, is your restaurant pet peeve or are your restaurant pet peeves? Oh, my gosh. Um, You know, I think this whole spiel of like, do you know how this works? Like, have you been, have you dined with us before? Oh yeah. Uh, That's number one on mine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, this is like, they say it as if it's like a new thing, like this fresh thing. And it's like, no, we've done, we've been done this a million times. But my number one pet peeve is honestly, these days it's sharing. Like, I don't want to share anymore. I just like, to me, the novelty would be to be able to get an individual appetizer, an individual entree and an individual dessert. That would be heaven. Like if, yeah. I, if, a rest, if a restaurant opened that did that, I'd be like, oh my God, this is the new way of the future. Because like sharing food, it kind of like muddies the waters. It's like, oh, it's like everything kind of mixes together and you kind of don't even remember what you ate. 
Yeah. Whereas like when you have like a really good entree, a really good appetizer, I don't know. I just love it. You know, it's funny. The older I get too, I don't want to share with my dining partners, like split a dish. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother's a huge fan of splitting dishes, but it was like the last time we split a dish, it was like, he was like, uh, what are you getting? I was like, I'm going to get the Branzino. He's like, I'm going to get the burger. Let's split it. And I'm yeah. like, I don't want to. He's like, come on. And so suddenly I'm having like half a burger and half right. a fish. I was like, this is awful. I hate everything about this. It's actually funny because some of my best friends are a couple Mark and Diana. And they, I said if they did a sitcom about them, it would be called Havesies because like they literally every meal and they've been together for like 16 years. Uh, every meal, it's like, what's, do you want to go Havesies? Like they ask each other as if this is like a new thing. Right. They do it every time. And then they kind of negotiate like, you know, who's going to get what. And then if one of them likes one half better than the other half and they have to negotiate that, it's very complicated. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah, but hey, they're, they're still together. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's the yeah. secret. Maybe, 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 you, secret. maybe you and I have it wrong. We're like, we don't want to compromise at all. <laughs> I know. Maybe it's a narcissism instead of actually just being like a healthy new outlook on food. I mean, you do want to cook your own death row meal. If that's not narcissism, uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, maybe it's selfless because I'm, I'm keeping somebody from having to work that night. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> don't trouble yourself before my execution. I got this. Yeah, see, I'm, like, a guy needs to stay home or a woman needs to stay home with their kids. Whoever the death row chef is, I, you know, we, don't, we don't know the gender, but either way. Right. Well, Adam, this is so <laughs> such a pleasure. I am such a fan of the career that you've carved out for yourself. Oh, well, and same. Ditto. I mean, both of us have come a long way from Joe. The yeah, I know. Waverly. Shout out to Jonathan Rubenstein. Uh, yeah. We, even he's come a long way. We were at his first flagship store, and I think he's got like 30 now. He's in, he runs an empire. You know, it's like, who knew? Yeah. Um, there, was some, there, was a, there was a good juju in that, in that coffee shop. Jesse oh, Taylor yeah. Ferguson was there all the time. Yes. Malcolm Gladwell was there all the time. I know. We all got our start there. I remember I once know. I was working on a play there and Sam Shepard came in and sat down across from me. I was like, okay, I'm literally writing a play across from Sam Shepard. This is the oh weirdest my God. thing that's ever happened to me. That is so good. So good. <laughs> all, um, right. <laughs> all right, Adam, tell everyone where they can find you. Um, well, I'm Amateur Gourmet on all social platforms on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok. And I have a newsletter called the Amateur Gourmet Newsletter, which is on Substack, and I write it twice a week. I love it. And uh, the book, where can they get the book? Oh, well, Give My Swiss Arts to Broadway is available wherever books are sold. Um, I would say look for it online. But if you have a favorite independent bookstore, ask them to order you a copy. Yeah, spread the word. I love it. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate it. And I will be getting you some biltong when I drive by that place, I promise. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Dana. It was a lot of fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.